That's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, just after he told this parable concerning the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 1, we read concerning the book of Acts that it is about um, after Jesus' suffering and having showed himself to these men, he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Uh, This story that we have been looking at in uh, the book of Acts is all about the kingdom of God and how it works itself out after uh, Jesus has left this world to go to prepare a place for us and to be seated at God's right hand from where he will come again one day to judge the living and the dead. One of the things that we can sometimes struggle with as Christians is, 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 is Christianity simple or complicated? Is it mysterious or plain? We know we have come to believe that it is truth, that it is the truth, that it applies to our lives, that it is relevant to everyday living, uh, that it is sufficient for all things and especially for our salvation. So when Jesus says that the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, what does that mean? What should we make of it? How should we uh, consider or take heart in in that regard? In Acts chapter 8 verse 12, we're told uh, in the section that we looked at over the last few weeks that when when Simon the sorcerer and the Samaritans believed Philip, he preached the good news of the kingdom of God. Right at the end of Acts chapter, uh, at the end of the book of Acts, at the end of Acts chapter 28, we read that for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him, and boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we bring this little series to a close, rather than looking at one particular passage, I want to look at one big theme and draw a whole bunch of threads together that we've considered over the last five weeks from Acts chapter 8 verse 12, so that I want you by the end of this morning, the end of our time together, to be encouraged and have a certain amount of knowledge and certainty concerning uh, the secret of the knowledge of the kingdom of God that has been given to you. And having knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of God that has been made plain to you through our Lord Jesus Christ concerning all that he began to do and teach in Acts, concerning all these messages about the kingdom, you will take courage in your heart to carry on living for the kingdom of God in a world that is in conflict with that kingdom. So, let me make a couple of comments. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, they're not exciting points, but they're points. Number one, the kingdom of God in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God declared that he would exercise his kingship by setting up his kingdom. His kingdom, that is his rule and reign over people's lives and over people's circumstances. And he would set up this kingdom and this kingship under his chosen king in a golden age of blessing. We're told in the New Testament that Jesus is that king and that we are currently living in that time of blessing. 
Now just file that for a second because we're going to come back because you're kind of going to yourself, really? Are we really living in that time of blessing? I'm not so sure that we're living in that time of blessing, but I'll explain how it is that we do live in that time of blessing in the present. And so the king comes, and he comes with a gospel. That is, he comes with momentous news, an incredible announcement. The gospel that this king brings, for Jesus is not just the king of that kingdom that's promised in the Old Testament. He's actually the kingdom himself. This gospel is about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Namely, that in bringing the kingdom and being the king, he has accomplished for us what we ourselves cannot accomplish. He has accomplished for us salvation. So what we need to understand, firstly, as we think about the Old Testament and we think about the kingdom promised, and we think about this big thing that we always talk about in church and as Christians of salvation or of being saved, is that the kingdom and salvation are tied together. They cannot be separated. You cannot be part of the kingdom of God without being saved. And you cannot be saved without becoming and being part of the kingdom of God. Those two two things can't be separated. Uh, What God has done for us and what God does in us, yes, they need to be distinguished, but they can't be torn apart. For we cannot separate the fruit of the gospel from uh, the gospel itself. And so everything that the Old Testament is saying, and this is so that to encourage you to go and to read your Old Testament, okay? It's like two-thirds of your Bible, so make sure you're reading your Old Testament. It is concerning the kingdom of God that Jesus Christ is not just the messenger or the herald of. He is the kingdom and he is the king. Everything in salvation history, no, everything in all of world history was working up to that point that Jesus would come and break into this world carrying with him the kingdom of God. The golden age of blessing, okay, remember, just unpause that for a second. We live in a time of blessing. The golden age of blessing is an era of present spiritual benefits. We are blessed beyond belief, beyond comparison, because salvation from sin and fellowship with God is offered now in this time, in this era. This is the golden age of spiritual blessing where we are able to become part of the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, that's number one, the kingdom of God in the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Number two, what we need to understand about the kingdom is that the kingdom is growing. Now all we have to do is think about where we started in Acts chapter 8 and where we finished in Acts chapter 12 to recognize that the kingdom of God is growing. But before we get there, I want you to hear what Jesus began to do and teach concerning the secret of the knowledge of the kingdom of God. Because remember, all of Acts is just a continuation of everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. What happens in Acts chapter, 8 verse, uh, Acts chapter 8 to Acts chapter 12 isn't like, hey, look, God got it right, and the Christians got lucky. This was God's plan and intention all along. We read about how God's hand was upon what was taking place at that time. But listen to Jesus' words before his death, before any of this happened. He taught in parables. 
In Mark chapter 4, he tells this parable. He says, this is what the kingdom, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Now in the context, he'd just been talking about the, the other parallel about the seed and the sower. And he explained that the seed is the word of God. Uh, so that's part of the flow. So you know the seed is the word of God. So the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seeds on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or he gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. This is what the kingdom of God is like. The mysterious growth of the kingdom of God that takes place all on its own. Uh, The kingdom is a kingdom that's growing. And so when we read that, and we read Acts chapter 8 to 12, in light of that, we recognize that this is what Jesus had said was going to happen. The gospel would leave Jerusalem, and it would go on to Samaria. It would break into a man named Saul's life who was persecuting the church. In the most mysterious way, he would become part of the kingdom of God and God's vessel, his messenger to the Gentiles. It would break into Cornelius' life, the, the mystery of the kingdom of God growing as it breaks into Gentile territory. And God using Peter, of all people, who doesn't want to be part of that initially until God shows him what it is that he's doing. Take heart then, friends. That though we don't know how, we know that the kingdom of God is growing. We see it happening in Acts 8 to 12, and we see it happening for all of history beyond that. And so don't think for one moment that God isn't growing his kingdom. It's why we can and should pray for our children, for our grandchildren, for our parents, for our grandparents, for our friends, for our neighbor, for though we do not know how. You know, sometimes I don't know about you, but sometimes I think about how I came to know Christ my own personal testimony and journey, and think, I I don't know how. I don't know how it all worked out that finally God shone his light into my heart that I might become a Christian. But in his mysterious way, he grew his kingdom even in me. And that's still what he's doing in you and in this world. Uh, the, The kingdom is also growing into something magnificent. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 18, Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed. A mustard seed was tiny. It was minuscule. What shall I, it's, it's like a mustard seed which a man took and he planted in his garden and it grew and became a great tree and the birds perched in its branches. Now, now we can't go into all the detail of that parable this morning because I've got a number of other points that I think are important that we make. But the thing about a mustard seed, it was a, a mustard seed and a mustard plant was that it wasn't a tree. It didn't grow up into something particularly big. It was kind of the biggest plant in the garden of a normal kind of household that you would have. And it would kind of grow to a be about that tall. Nothing particularly magnificent. Nothing that the birds of the air could necessarily actually come and rest or perched in. So what Jesus is saying, he's saying, you know a mustard seed, it's really small and it does grow into something big, but there's actually something supernatural that's taking place in what God is doing in the kingdom. It's going to become a great tree so that even the birds will find uh, rests in its branches. It will grow up to become this great tree. 
Uh, when Mark tells the story, Matthew tells the story, we're, we're told that all the nations of the earth will find a dwelling place within the kingdom of God. How big is the kingdom of God going to be? How many people will there be that will be part of it? How vast will heaven be? Well, we're told here that the kingdom is going to grow to become a supernaturally great tree that all the nations of the earth will find their rest in. The third thing that we need to understand about the kingdom of God is that this kingdom is a hidden kingdom. It's a hidden kingdom. Uh, It's not a a secret uh, kingdom, uh, but it's not an obvious kingdom. Uh, The disciples weren't the obvious people to carry the gospel to the ends of the the earth. Uh, The the church that springs up in Antioch, it kind of just springs up by itself because the word of the gospel was carried to that city, people preached it, they joined the kingdom of God, and a church was formed and it was planted. In Luke chapter 13, the verses just after the story of the the mustard seed, we read that, again, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, you guys all know that I love pizza. I love making pizza. There was a time where I loved making pizza at home. Jamie Oliver has a great recipe in his book about making pizza. And when you make pizza dough, you, you make about a kilo of it. There's something odd about this story because this woman uh, takes 60 pounds or about 27, 25 kilos. Now, they didn't have big, like, ovens that our bakeries have today. It's an abnormal detail. It's an abnormal amount of um, dough to take. In actual fact, it's probably about the amount of dough that you would find in a normal household barrel or stock of dough. When you read the parable carefully, David Seckham actually makes the point that what it actually sounds like Jesus is saying is that a woman had a barrel of dough, flour, in her home, and she took the yeast and she actually hid it inside this barrel of dough. And of course, what happened is that it worked its way through the dough. The other thing to know about yeast is that yeast, as it were, was considered corrupting or evil. So what is the point that Luke is making, um, that Jesus is making, that Luke is recording, and that we see working itself out through the book of Acts? Well, it's just this. Here's my point for this point. The kingdom is brought into being by something more powerful and more pervasive than evil. Though its beginning is hidden and obscured and almost undetectable, like yeast hidden in a barrel of dough, in the same way that yeast will work its way through all 60 pounds of the dough, so too will the kingdom work its way throughout the whole world and transform it from the inside out through its hidden nature. And you see that working its way right the way through the book of Acts, so that at the beginning, it's all about a continuation of what Jesus began to do and teach. It's about the kingdom that Philip preaches in Acts 8, verse 12, to the Samaritans. It's working its way through. And at the end, look where Paul ends up, preaching to the kings and the powers and the rulers and the most powerful politicians of his day. It's a hidden and obscured kingdom, but it is transforming the whole world from the inside out. 
It's a hidden and obscure kingdom, but it's transforming you from the inside out. The fourth thing that I want you to see this morning is concerning the people of the kingdom of God. Who are the people of the kingdom of God? Well, the people of the kingdom of God are God's Israel. They are Abraham's seed. But now in the book of Acts, they're redefined as the company of believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, They are uh, converted Pharisees and they are converted fishermen. They are conversions from Samaria. The gospel and the people of the kingdom of God are numbered. They are a a part of people who used to practice and worship and follow the dark arts and magic. Uh, They are people like centurions, like Cornelius. Um, They are people from all backgrounds, from all walks, from all languages. People who up until a point were considered outside of the kingdom of God now brought in. The people of the kingdom of God are all people, will be any person who hears the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God and trusts in it or rests in it, as our catechism question reminds us, that God is able to do what he promised and bring about this salvation. The people of the kingdom includes all people. And so thus we have this new international global church fellowship. And at the same time we are spurred on knowing that the people of the kingdom of God can be any person to share the gospel of the kingdom of God with all people, with any person. The fifth thing, if I'm not mistaken, is concerning the location of this kingdom. The thing about kingdoms is that kingdoms always have locations. They have geographic boundary markers. Show me a kingdom today. Show me a country. uh, Show me a sovereignty that isn't clearly defined on a map. In actual fact, if you're not on a map, you're not a kingdom. If you're not on a map, you're not a country. What's the location of this kingdom if it's really a kingdom at all? Well, the, the location of this kingdom, we're told, uh, is, that not, is, is not a geographic one. But again, it's a spiritual one. So that God builds his kingdom, firstly by making us right with himself. Firstly by building his rule into our hearts and, his life, and our life. Through his word and through his spirit and through prayer. And in these things, we begin to have this foretaste of God's kingdom. The, the, the kingdom is not a geographic kingdom. Uh, we we are, are not bound or tied in any particular way to uh, the current nation of Israel or to the Holy Land. Yes, things did historically happen there. Uh, But it's not to say that we're all going to be going back there or that we all need to be making pilgrimages there. In actual fact, in Luke chapter 17, when Jesus was being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Or in parenthesis, the kingdom of God is within you. It is within your grasp. That, friends, is the location of the kingdom of God. So although we have some little taste of it every time we gather together as God's people, every time any church gathers together in a geographic location around the word of God, we have this foretaste of the kingdom of God gathered. It is an invisible kingdom 
of people that God is gathering together from all corners of the world, all walks of life. Number six, I want you to see this morning the rule of the kingdom of God. What is it that rules the kingdom of God? Not who rules the kingdom of God, for we know that it is Jesus Christ who is the ruler of that kingdom. But what is the rule of the kingdom of God? What is the measure of the kingdom of God? And the measure of the kingdom of God is the word of God. So in our passage that was read to us this morning, not from Acts, but from Luke's earlier uh, account from volume chapter 1, we read concerning uh, the parable of the sower and the seed. A farmer goes out to sow his seed, and he scatters the seed, and the seed falls amongst a number of different places. After he tells this parable, the disciples ask him what it means, and he says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables. Here then is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no roots. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, or by riches, or pleasures, and so they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, they produce a crop. Uh, here, then, uh, is the course by which the kingdom uh, takes in a person's life, in anyone's life. Uh, the question that's always being asked is, what kind of heart do I have as a hearer of the word of God? I think it's plainly obvious that the heart that we all ought to desire is the heart of the good soil, the noble heart who hears the word of God, retains the word of God, and by persevering, produces a crop concerning the kingdom of God. It's interesting that as these, uh, this, this kingdom grows up, for this is a kingdom parable, this is how the kingdom grows, this is what took place in the book of Acts. Throughout Acts, there are these refrains, and the word spread, and the word grew, and uh, the word was preached. What word was it? It was the word of the gospel concerning the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. That is how the kingdom grows. But it's not just how the kingdom grows, it's how the kingdom is ruled. The kingdom is ruled by the word of God. For the gatekeeper is the word of God by which we are granted access when we hear it and respond in repentance and faith and obedience. And the Word of God is also that which rules us as we are in this kingdom, as we are a part of this kingdom. Coming into God's kingdom means coming out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light of Jesus Christ. It comes, it's coming into a kingdom that clashes with the kingdoms of this world. And so as we now become those who carry that word, for the irony is that Jesus sows the word into people's hearts, and that word is a word concerning Jesus. As that word is sown into our hearts, there is 
a very real measure by which we then take that word and begin to sow it into other people's lives. So that the task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible through faithful Christian living and witness bearing. The gospel of Christ is still the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit as we enter into a disciple's relationship with our living Lord. And so the church must make this message credible by manifesting that reality of the kingdom in our own lives, in our own homes, in our own places where we take it as we share the secret of the kingdom of God with others. Seventhly, I think that's the number I'm on, uh, the kingdom is a now but not yet kingdom. There's a sense in which God's kingdom already exists and rules over the whole universe, even where he is not acknowledged as king. But there's also a sense in which it is being established in its fullest and true sense. So, Let me break it down. God rules over both evil and good in this world. But God's ultimate purpose for His kingdom has always been for it to be the home of righteousness. Is this world currently the home of righteousness? No, it's not. We are well aware of that. We are well aware that sin still rules this world. We are well aware that at times sin still rules my heart. It rules our hearts. So the kingdom is not yet. It's now because it has taken root and it is growing up and we are growing in it and it is manifesting itself and we are proclaiming it and we are preaching it, but it's not yet. God sent Jesus to bring about the kingdom to destroy evil and to deliver us from sin so that we could be righteous. That's the now. That's what he has done. He has defeated evil. Satan is all but bound up. Jesus was the strong man who tied, the, he, the stronger man who tied up the strong man. Uh, sin has been dealt with at the cross. Uh, God looks at us, and when He looks at us, He doesn't see our sin, but Christ's righteousness in us. And so, our only proper response to that message is to believe in God's promise and to repent. But that kingdom is not yet fulfilled. It will only be fulfilled. When Jesus Christ comes back to judge the living and the dead and to bring about this kingdom, this home of righteousness. It's important for us to know that. It's one of the most, I think it's one of the most important catchphrases that we need to hold on to as Christians. Okay? It's, it's, you won't find a verse about the now but not yet in the Bible, but you will find the idea, like, like the word Trinity. It's important for us in the 21st century to know this now but not yet. Because it guards us from having a, an over-realized eschatology. It guards us from wanting heaven on earth now. It keeps our framework and our perspective of what we're longing for and what we're hoping for and knowing that is in the future. It's what enables us to carry on our pilgrimage through this life even in the most difficult of times. And we see this kingdom that's now but not yet. It works itself out in Acts chapter 8 to 12 as we see the the followers of Jesus Christ being persecuted, being thrust out. Uh, As we see uh, people uh, believing in the gospel. Simon the sorcerer who says, look, I want the gospel, but then actually I want to pay you for it. Uh, This kingdom is, is now but not yet. And so we're looking forward to that home of righteousness. We have 
uh, all the riches of the glory of God because of the first coming of Christ. We are accepted uh, as God's family uh, because of Jesus' finished work that was perfect for us. Our status as believers can never be improved upon, for we are possessed by God and possess all the riches of Christ. There is nothing that we will possess in the future that is not already ours. So take heart and be encouraged that all that we have, that all that we possess is by faith. And even though it is by faith, it doesn't make it any less real. This is your reality as a Christian. This is who you are. This is what you have. Don't be like the seed um, that falls amongst the thorns that gets choked by life's worries and the riches and the pleasures and so doesn't mature because you're so busy chasing around for these other things. Uh, Don't be uh, like the seed that falls on the rock uh, that receives the word with joy but actually has no root, who believes it for a little while. But when the time of testing comes, and it will come, you actually fall away. Seven, finally, last thing, and this is where I end, and that is with the hope of the kingdom, the hope of the kingdom of God. The ultimate ends, the ultimate goal, the ultimate hope of God's kingdom is that one day in its final reality, in its final version, that by the way, it's a version that doesn't ever get upgraded. It's not like, hey, you need to upgrade your phone, version 13.1.4.14.7, doesn't happen, okay? In that final version, God's kingdom will be a place, it will be a physical reality, it will be the place that God dwells, it will be the new heavens and the new earth, it will be all-encompassing, it will be completely holistic, it will supersede every other worldly kingdom. In actual fact, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, this is what we read. And with this I end, friends, for I cannot summarize it any better, because this is your hope, and this is my hope in the kingdom of God. This is what you are staking everything in your life on. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, And there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Friends, wherever you might find yourself this morning, we share one thing in common. This is our greatest reality. But to make it personal, whether you know it or not, this is your greatest longing. This is the one thing that you long for more than anything else in all of your life, despite what you might think. Your longing is that the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. May God add his blessing to his word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Father, as long as we live on this earth, may your will be done here, may your will be done in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that your kingdom has come in Jesus Christ. We thank you that as we read through the pages of Scripture and the pages of Acts, we can see how that kingdom is growing, how that kingdom is taking over this whole world. And yet, Lord, we know that it's, it's here now, but it's not yet. So, Father, lift our eyes to the future. Lift our eyes beyond the horizon to our final hope. May our prayer be, may our longing be, that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord. And may we, along with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, reign with you, our Lord and our God, for all eternity, world without end. Amen. Well, friends, I think we're going to end our time by singing a wonderful, rousing hymn that calls us as the church, as the people of the kingdom of God, to arise and to take our stand. So let's stand and sing together.